Reichman University. everyone, and welcome to the ZMI Podcast. Ariel Shalowitz here with you today, ready to discover the possibilities of a world without doubt. A world where the future, unlike today, is written and risk-free. Is this a world you would want to live in? How, you might ask. The answer, digital twins. A connection between the physical and digital world. Imagine a virtual replica of yourself, of the human body, a code composed of your data, which will be able to give you the future predictions of how you will react to different drugs, different types of medicine, surgery, what illnesses you are prone to, and more. Wouldn't you rather go into a surgery with the confidence of knowing how your body will react? The digital twin isn't only aimed for sick people hoping to find a possible and effective treatment to their existing illness. This emerging technology may enable healthy people to forecast how their current lifestyle and habits will affect their future self. If you're a parent, just think about being able to know for sure if and how your child's full body development process will be influenced by allowing them to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. That, as opposed to possibly learning the side effects by scientists in the far-fetched future. Healthcare is a journey, and with a digital twin, it's possible. Here with me today is Eldie Schoenfeld to help us understand how personalized medicine and AI in the medical field can make this possible. LD has a PhD in neuroscience from the Weizmann Institute of Science and is currently the chief science officer at Indolex. So, LD, before we get uh, started and into speaking about digital twins and healthcare, I'm sure our audience would be interested in hearing what you're doing today at Indolex. Uh, well, first of all, uh, very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great. And I am the chief uh, science officer at uh, Indolex. So Indolex is um, an AI company focused on uh, developing a platform for monitoring and managing pain. We start with uh, migraines and cluster headaches, and we, we intend to, to go further. And I'm responsible uh, for... Um, for the scientific side, uh, in terms of the disease, the indication that we study, also in terms of uh, of the data that uh, we want uh, to collect, and also we have uh, another vertical in uh, Indolex, which is uh, a treatment. We want also to provide a treatment which is based on a psychedelic substance, which we intend to use to uh, produce in synthetic biology, uh, which this is uh, my background and. I'm also responsible on that. And as you mentioned, personalized medicine is a big part of what you deal with, and it's something that is made personally for each person. And that's also a major aspect of digital twins. So digital twins in healthcare really aim to create a personalized sort of response to that person and being able to know and predict what medication can work, what drug will not work, and how normal everyday habits will influence that person further on. And so we can 
see that a major part or a major connection between what you do at Indolex and Digital Twins in healthcare is that personalized effect. And a major part of that is data, and that's a big part of what we're going to be discussing today, as well as as well as um, the different personalization of everything that has to do in that aspect. So I think that one of the first questions that we have to deal with and understand is what is personalized medicine to you as a person who deals in the field at Indolex and before, what does it mean to you? Okay, so personalized medicine, uh, I guess as the name uh, implies, uh, pretty straightforward, is a, a, a way to treat uh, the person individually. I mean, we are all very, very different from, uh, from each other. And this can be like uh, little tweaks or little changes that can influence a lot. Now, the, the paradigm in medicine over the last couple of years is that there is no like uh, one, uh, one size fits all in medicine. It just doesn't make makes any sense. And each person should and deserve to have a specific, not even a treatment, even like a um, way of life or um, things that uh, he eats or the, the exercise that uh, he, he or she needs to do. So um, it's basically tailoring the, the way of life to the individual. This is how uh, I see it, because also in the perspective of uh, preventive medicine, which is something I'm a big uh, believer of, that if you can prevent it, this is much better than treat the symptoms. So even in that sense, if we won't know what... Uh, we won't know enough about the person, we can't uh, tailor a specific treatment or tell him what to do in order to, for him to not have uh, a disease or, or uh, lead a healthy life. So I guess that leads us on to the next question. And to what extent um, is the data that you receive? I mean, you need, is there a specific amount? Is there a specific range? How much does it need to cover? And how much of the, of the data is necessary in order for you to use it um, in the creation of personalized medicine? So uh, I guess uh, the short answer to that would be as much as possible all the time, which is obviously not. So the goal is to do what is called a continuous monitoring. So basically you want to be able to track your vitals, like, I don't know, every, every minute, every second. But uh, again, not all uh, devices uh, are doing that. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Apple Watch uh, take a sample every two hours. But I think during activity, it's, um, it takes more sample. Ideally, we would like to have it continuously all the time. And, and in terms of what we will need, again, so right now, we may not uh, know what, uh, what we need because the research is keep uh, advancing. And every time you discover new stuff, new things, for example, the EDA, the um, electrodermal activity, which is only just recently, people learned that it has a lot of... Uh, lot of importance in things related to health. For example, in epilepsy, one of the big companies in the field, Empatica, this is how they got also FDA approval for that. This is how what they used to uh, track epilepsy attack. So, for example, and you have like oxygen saturation and body temperature. So if you can, it would be good to collect everything because then you can go over the data and maybe see a new connection. That in some, this is how you can discover new stuff. Because if you, for example, only concentrate on HRV and heart rate, you may uh, miss something because there might be maybe other conditions that, for example, body temperature would be a better indicator for that. And of course, you need to think about also how to store it because it's all data and you need a place to store it. 
obviously in the cloud, but um, you need to do something with that. And maybe you need to keep it for a long time till um, you can go over it. Okay, so the more so, the merrier. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess how, once you receive all of this data, as we said, the more the merrier. So once you have all of this data together, how do you handle it and how do you regulate it? How do you know what to use when, what not to use, and how do you go further on with this data? Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, collecting or uh, fetching the data from the, from the instrument, so you need the, you store it on, uh, on the cloud, and of course with all uh, the security that goes along with it. And of course, in terms of the patient side, you need obviously to have a consent and you have um, a privacy policy. And also when it, when it comes to clinical data, it all needs to go through Helsinki. Because this is the way to collect uh, any data connected uh, related to human patients, so it's all uh, need to be very very regulated. And and later, if we would like uh, to use something, we obviously need uh, to get uh, the consent of uh, of the person either to uh, transfer it to a third party or to publish. But uh, yeah, they they know about it and. They need to give their uh, their consent. Okay. And what did no. you mention about Helsinki? Helsinki. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the protocol for any clinical uh, trials related relating to human beings, even like uh, in hospital, whether it's in, uh, for example, c- uh, cancer treatments or whatever, like regular diseases, not relating to data. So whenever you collect a sample from a human being, and even it can be just going back and going through medical records. Every information that uh, you collect about human being, uh, it needs to go through what is called the Helsinki, which is a protocol that go um, in all the hospital. Based on this uh, protocol, you design and uh, build your experiment. And then like about once a month, a committee is, uh, is sitting together, going over the protocols and approve or uh, not approve the, um, the, the study. Because, again, we are dealing with very, very um, sensitive data related to, to individuals, so it needs to be highly regulated. We didn't know about the protocol, and we didn't know that it had to go through all, this whole process of being approved. Um, as yeah. I explained earlier, we're studying the, the region of digital twins in healthcare, and that's a big part of it is privacy. And so I think that's something that we, should, we have to look forward, um, we have to look more into. Definitely. Um, Yeah, so we will. Thank you for that. <laughs> so f- going on with this line of um, ethics, as we mentioned, the personalized medicine requires a certain amount of information that is gathered at Indolex through watches, through different straps that collect information. Comparing between personalized medicine and digital twins, there's a different amount of data required. So based on your experience, if there are clients that were objecting giving that information or if you were facing difficulties if they were facing difficulty um, difficulties giving that information do you think that we can expect the same sort of thing to happen in digital twins which require much more uh, information definitely yes and I think also with digital twins some of the sampling will have to be much much more um, invasive or intru- intrusive, because basically you want to compose the whole genomic, uh, proteomics, the only metabolomics of a person somehow. So you need to take samples. It's not enough 
just to collect some uh, vitals. But at the end of the day, I think it's a, I do believe that it's a crucial and important technology that I believe would be a mainstream. Uh, my only concern is that at least at the beginning, it probably would be super expensive. So it would be available just to some part of uh, the population. But I think that at the end of the day, maybe uh, it would be like the next generation of, uh, of medicine. And I think the value of that, it's enormous. If you would be able to basically track and watch all and monitor all your system, it's very, very valuable. And I think it's worth the risk. But again, it would need to have an extra precaution. But again, as I'm afraid that the, the barrier won't be so the desire, but like uh, the funding, the, the fact that it would be very expensive. Exactly. So that may be a limiting factor inhibited to all the people. Yeah. Do you think that there's a need to create a different digital twin per region due to the difference in culture, weather, eating habits, certain foods? Do you see a significant difference that follows a necessity to create a different personalized digital twin? It makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, yes, um, people living in different uh, environments are uh, are different. In terms of food, I think, uh, well, in the Western food, I guess we can all... Uh, all of us eat <laughs> all uh, all the things, but uh, definitely in terms of uh, in terms of the weather, but and also in terms of like the water and the soil and like air pollution, for example, which is like a major uh, factor, or even just proximity to volcanoes. So yeah, I think in terms of uh, geographical uh, position, there is a, a, it makes sense to have a specialized. Uh, Digital twins. Another significant factor in digital twins, which raises a question, is insurance. Um, and there is sort of an understanding that if a digital twin can predict what will happen to a certain human being in 10 years, that the insurance will go up, that the rate of the insurance will go up. Yeah. So, so I think in that end, it's like once the genie is out of the battle, that's it. So obviously, you cannot hold up a progress. And the, if when a digital twin would be available, I think insurance company uh, will have the right to get access to digital twins of all their patients. And then basically they, they can like, uh, you know, prorate uh, different people based on their tendencies. So if you look at it on, from their perspective, from their point of view, maybe it makes a lot of sense to, sense to them because if someone is about, I don't know, to get cancer at the age of 40 or something, then... W- Obviously, they would like, uh, and then they will have to pay for all uh, their uh, treatment. So they would like their premium to, to be higher. But on the other hand, uh, the question is, what if someone would, uh, I don't know, deal with the, the information? Or maybe if it won't, uh, maybe if they'll get an access to that, not in a, in a legal way. And that is something, um, you know, it, it's a very important uh, ethical uh, issue and, um, and you know you can say uh, one way or, or the other that they do have the right to that like the insurance company or the, on the other hand uh, you know as a as a person maybe if it's, it's genetic and you genetic and you didn't do anything um, for example to cancer to to get cancer and, and at an early stage or something so why do you need uh, to pay more for that but also they may the good thing about it that maybe they will require specific people to take preventive measures to take care of their health in order for their premium not to go up. And maybe in that sense also, because at the end of the day, for a lot of people, the, 
the most, uh, the basic motive is, uh, is financial. So if they know that taking care of their health could also save the money, um, it may be an incentive. That's so an interesting... Yeah, that's an interesting point of view. We didn't look at it that way, but it definitely could um, cause people to take their health um, into consideration from before the future and sort of get it. Yeah, way before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another aspect that we can sort of relate to that is the medical trials. As you know, um, there's a placebo group and um, a regular group that one gets the real drug and the other one gets sort of a fake drug. Um, so with this digital twin, we can look at it in two different ways. The first one is just doing the trial on the digital twin. Um, so there really isn't a person and an actual drug involved. It's just sort of taking the effects of the drugs and implementing it on the digital twin. So that's one aspect. Um, and another aspect is not using a placebo group and just doing it on the, um, the actual trial group and seeing how, how it affects everything. Because we have the digital twin that is sort of the placebo Too group. And then, yeah, and then the actual trial group. So do you think it's something that um, could work well in medical trials? The problem is if there are, um, with the second option, if there are adverse effects and you, you gave it to the people and, you know, the digital twins are the, are the placebo, uh, then you may uh, cause uh, harm, right? Mm-hmm. Because you took a, yeah. dr- a drug and you gave it to the individual. And um, I would imagine um, that maybe the, the thing to go about it is to do both the experiment on the digital twins, like the same one, it will uh, they will be a placebo, and then they will be the child, of course, with a different uh, adjustment, and then you don't have um, you don't risk the individual and in anything, and also you avoid the, the ethical issue in that that some a patient won't uh, deserve to get the treatment and only will be the the placebo group, which this is something that in all medical trials. Uh, Nowadays, this is the thing because some of the people are, some of the patients, uh, they are placebo. So basically, they, they don't get any effect of that. So if you can move it all to the digital twin, <laughs> then. Yeah, let's put it all on the digital twin. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting um, way to look at the things. And hopefully, I mean, it's very far fetched. So with everything that we spoke about with regards to personalized medicine at Indolex and the possibility of creating a digital twin of a human being in the future, do you think it's something that's even possible? Or is it so far fetched that we still have a lot of things to speak about before? Um, What is your opinion after hearing all of this? I think technology is advancing in a profound a pace, especially in the in the field of AI and machine learning. So I do believe that uh, it would be like maybe closer than uh, than we think that it would be possible because we have an amazing advancement both in medicine and in, and in uh, AI and computing. And of course, we are, we are still on one hand pretty far from really uh, replicate the human body or like the human mind. So I think it's uh, it's not like uh, such a fiction uh, science. And okay. I do uh, hope and believe that uh, we would be able to to enjoy the, the technology soon enough. Yeah. Hopefully after, after our year of studying this <laughs> and researching digital twins, we'll be able to see it. I think 
maybe in the next few years, it seems that the United States is really moving along with it. Um, and I think that's it. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. We thank Eldie Schoenfeld for joining us today. This podcast was a collaboration with the Tzvi Meitar Institute and IDC Radio. We thank Dora Levinson, Amit Katz, Inbar Carmel, Professor Dove Greenbaum, and Yvonne Saba. My name is Ariel. Thank you for listening, and we'll meet again next time. shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity 